Hey folks, welcome back to the Friday show here on the Culture Jack podcast. My name is Dustin. I'll be your host for today's show. Before I get into the show, how you doing? How was your week? For some people, it was a very, very long week. And to those people, I'd like to say, you know, put your feet up, grab a beer, turn on your favorite show. There's a new episode of Boba Fett just happened a couple of days ago. Peacemaker is on HBO Max. There's some good stuff going on. Uh, And relax a little bit. To those of you that had an outrageously easy week, I am so happy for you. I'm glad you got to maybe relax a little bit during the week, maybe go on that vacation you wanted to go on. Uh, But it's the weekend now, so... You know, join those those hardworking folks and kick your feet up as well. Have a good time. Before we get into the heft of today's show, I, I have to issue a correction from last week's show. And I think this may be my first correction in the history of this, uh, this side of the podcast. But here it is. <clears throat> so last week, no, no, before I, before I correct myself, let me tell you a joke. All right, here it goes. A horse walks into a bar. The bartender says, hey, I see you in here a lot. I think you're an alcoholic. The horse replied, I don't think I am. And he disappeared. It was Rene Descartes, who has been heralded as the first modern philosopher, who said in 1637 in his Discourse on Method, I think, therefore I am. So when the horse said he did not think, he was not. Now, I probably should have told you all that prior to the part with the horse, but that would be putting Descartes before the horse. <laughs> I know, I know it's, it's terrible. It was a joke that I heard on TikTok. I cannot recall the person who told it. Also, I saw another TikTok video that asked, when you go to share information with someone uh, on something that you learned on TikTok, where do you lie and say it's from? Do you say you read it in an article? Do you say you heard it in class? Do you say it was a documentary you watched? Does it feel like you won't be taken seriously if you say, I saw it on TikTok? Also, I don't know the user behind that video either. It's, it's the very eloquent guy with the nice, nice teeth. You know the guy I'm talking about. Anyway, my point is, I falsely attributed the I think, therefore I am quote to Voltaire When in fact, it was Descartes who coined the phrase. Voltaire, he said some awesome stuff too. He said like, uh, judge a man by his questions rather than his answers. And he said, if God did not exist, it would be necessary to invent him. And he said, liberty of thought is the life of the soul. And it is not enough to conquer. One must learn to seduce. So please forgive my trespass. I'm not a philosophy major. I am not a smart man. I, <laughs> I have made that proclamation many times. I'm just a guy that heard a thing. On today's Friday show, we are finally going to get back into and finish our discussion on story tropes in popular media, as was showcased in Georges Pulte's 36 Dramatic Situations. You'd be completely forgiven if you've forgotten what the other 27 situations were Because it's been a minute between these episodes. Don't worry, though. I'll recap them at the beginning so you won't be lost uh, too much through this particular piece. And it's funny that this will be my second Friday show of the new year. It was going to be my first Friday show of, of 2022, but I gave you all the excuses last week as to why that 
unfortunately could not be so. Like I said on my last episode, I have a specific New Year's resolution for the Friday show that will hopefully spill over into my ventures over at on today's episode. That's our semi-regular Saturday review show. And that resolution is to finish the series that I've started on this podcast. So every so often, I'll dive into a topic that I feel is just too big for one show to handle. And thus, I'll break it up into parts. Specific to the OTE, though, I'll try and discuss a series episode by episode. And sometimes, you know, I'll trail off after a few episodes, especially if it is not a weekly release show, I found out. Something that, you know, dumps all at once onto Netflix that you can binge. Off the top of my head, I have this series, until now, was unfinished, but but it should be finished in the next 20 or 30 minutes. I started a series about fanboys that I thought I could uh, get another couple episodes out of. I know I've got one that I started on my browser history, which probably has two more two more episodes in that series. I know I have the unfinished reviews for Masters of the Universe and Invincible on the OTE as well. I mean, this not finishing these things and, and having them sit in limbo, it really only hurts myself. I have constant worry and anxiety about them waiting for their turn there on the island of misfit toys. Also, I know full well my disdain for resolutions, and I know full well my inclination to adhere to a strict resolution or, you know, moreover, not adhere to one. So I only anticipate it going okay at best, but at the very least, I'll try and please try and keep me held accountable. Uh, So to start off 2022 right, I know we're in the second week of 2022 now, I'd like to welcome you back to my series on the formation of stories. This all started with a TikTok video, of all things, that told me there were only a few dozen story patterns that all stories followed. Naturally, being a lover of stories, I had to learn more. In the first part of the series, I gave you a little history on Kurt Vonnegut and his basic eight, I believe it was eight, story patterns that he described all great works of fiction followed. Then we talked about the study from the University of Vermont that analyzed thousands of pages of stories looking for emotional patterns in 10,000 word chunks. They decided to one-up Vonnegut when they decided there were really only six basic shapes good stories formed throughout their plot. And this study was relatively recent as well. And I believe it was like the last four or five years. All of this was just an appetizer for what brought me to this revelation of story shapes and patterns in the first place. And that was the 36 dramatic stories that were the thematic basis for all stories ever told, at least according to Georges Pulte. Over the course of the next three parts of the series, I tried my best to find examples of the first nine situations in uh, movies that I'd seen. And then in the second part, I did the, the second nine in popular video games. And then another nine examples in the third part. Well, maybe it was the fourth part from anime. For those of you keeping track, that leaves us with the nine situations to go to finish out the 36. And thus, this part, the last part of The Shape of Stories... Over a year in the making. (laughs) The thing about Georges Pulte's thesis and these situations is some of them have not aged well. And what I mean by that is some of them are not 
They're not as present in popular media as they were in 1895, and surely not as present in the, uh, the Carlo Gazzi's list at the tail end of the 1700s. Things like incest and pedophilia, uh, at least in popular media that I consume, are not a critical mainstay. Though not all of these tropes may be ever-present, they still serve as a wide net without many breaks in the netting. Uh, so take what you will uh, from this list. The dramatic situations we've already discussed <clears throat> uh, previously on The Shape of Stories. Supplication, deliverance, vengeance of a crime, vengeance taken for kindred upon kindred, pursuit, disaster, falling prey to cruelty or misfortune, revolt, daring enterprise, abduction, enigma, obtaining, enmity of kinsmen, rivalry of kinsmen, murderous adultery, Madness, fatal imprudence, involuntary crimes of love, slaying of a kinsman unrecognized, self-sacrificing for an ideal, self-sacrifice for kindred, all sacrificed for a passion, necessity of sacrificing loved ones, rivalry of superior and inferior, adultery, crimes of love, and discovery of the dishonor of a loved one. Whew. That's a mouthful. Today, we'll talk about the remaining nine dramatic situations, starting with obstacles to love. And like I did in my previous installments, I'm going to try and apply these to story tropes that I have seen in modern media that I enjoy. Uh, unlike my previous episodes, though, I'm not going to limit myself to any one type of media. Really, just anything I think of that fits the theme of the situation. <clears throat> okay, okay, okay. Obstacles to love. For this, all you need is two lovers and an obstacle. Think Romeo and Juliet. These lovers, they yearn to be together, but there is some difficult obstacle that is preventing this from happening. It could be happening because of their station. It could be happening because of a rivalry or betrothal to another. It could be happening because of a taboo or a discrimination. The couple could be looked down on because... Maybe it's interracial composition of the coupling. Again, like the other parts, I'm pulling all of this information off of changingminds.org. And in the discussion section of the website, they talk about marriage and union, not just being between two people, but a joining of entire families. And as such, the desire of the lovers is not the only factor in how accepting everyone is of the union. It might not be families either. It might be, uh, you know, like, like the Montagues and the Capulets. It might be uh, warring nations or political adversaries or competing businesses. This is all to say that even if the relationship kicks off the ground, the love the couple feels could be overwhelmed by their own different ingrained feelings from their family, their business, or their nation. So in looking for examples for this, really it's any romantic comedy that there, there's an obstacle uh, getting the two, the two back together or the two together in the first place. Like Romeo and Juliet's a good example. The Notebook is a good example. Brokeback Mountain is a good example. Titanic is a good example. There's also a couple good examples in anime, uh, namely Naruto. <laughs> Uh, it, it cracks me up uh, talking about this stuff in the same vein as I'm talking about Romeo and Juliet, a Shakespearean ma masterpiece. I say another great example of this trope is Naruto, but it is. It absolutely is. And so when you think of 
the way that Sakura yearns for Sasuke, but cannot be with him because of his dedication to becoming more powerful, to take down that person who killed his entire family. Like, oh my gosh, that's Shakespearean in and of itself. Uh, Bakumano Gotari. I know that's a mouthful of a name, but that's a great anime. And the main characters, they can't really get together in one of the seasons because one is a vampire. And then finally, Berserk. And I feel I feel some kind of way about, about titling Berserk in this theme because I did include Berserk in several other ones as well. And that's the thing with these tropes, with these situations, is you will see the tropes... Uh, return, you will see them build on each other, disappear, kind of resolve themselves, and then pop up again. These aren't necessarily single stories, though the entire story may be framed on the foundation of any one of these tropes. The next one, closely related to the previous, is an enemy loved. The main players involved here are the beloved enemy, the lover, and the hater. In this, the lover loves the enemy, which in turn, the hater hates them for their betrayal. Specific examples are the, the lover being pursued by family of their beloved, the lover being a son or daughter of someone who is hated by the kinsman or, or of their beloved. Uh, another place where it can be tricky to find love with an enemy is when the lover or beloved had slayed a family member or friend of the other's. In the discussion portion, they talk about us not always being able to choose who we fall in love with. This one also has some, you know, uh, Freudian and uh, Oedipusian, I guess, uh, themes or undertones where maybe we find powerful people attractive and also because they may remind us of a strict parent we're trying to earn the approval on or their ruthlessness has done us a wrong in the past. Speaking of parents... During childhood, a child may have sought to gain affection from a stern parent to protect against that stern parent's abuse. In these stories, the hater has a dilemma, as they are supposed to be on the same side as the lover, but the lover is acting differently because of their beloved, thus putting their alliances in question, because they may not just love the person, but they could also love their cause as well. So in anime, I found a good example for this. It's the anime Basilisk. And it could fit in either this situation or the previous situation as well. The, the uh, love but with obstacles. And in it, it, it has the very basic same story as essentially Romeo and Juliet. Um, but there are two warring tribes and the heads or the heirs to the Two of the tribes get together, and though both of the families seem to be very happy for the lovers, uh, they eventually break out into all-out war and slaughter each other. It's insane. It's so good. There's also a comic that I want to bring up that fits nicely with this trope as well. It's a comic called Saga, and it's so good because there is two warring planets, and one of on one of these planets where, or on a, a neutral third planet that the war was being waged, one of the, one of the species, he's got like horns, was captured by this other species, the one that they're fighting that have wings. And they're not supposed to get together. However, they did. 
They fell in love. And now they are running. They're on the run from both of the different uh, political stances because this child could undo the whole reason for the war. And there's like a really cool third party overseer group, these elitist royals that have computers for heads and it shows their emotion on the computer screen and whatever they're feeling. If they're horny, then they have, they show like pornography. If they're mad, they will show, you know, war and destruction and violence and stuff. Super cool comic saga. Uh, Check it out. So here's one that reeks of that hustle and grind culture, ambition. The three elements in this one are an ambitious person, a thing that is coveted, and an adversary, wherein the ambitious person covets something that is guarded against by the adversary. The adversary could be guarded against by a kinsman, a brother, a relative, or other partisans, either under obligation or under no obligation to do so. The ambition could be one stimulated by the need to rebel. The ambition could also be nefarious in nature, like killing a father king to take his place or undermining a co-worker in a corporate atmosphere. In discussion, they talk about ambition either being a force for good or blinding them to anything else besides their ambition. In this way, the hero of the story is either the ambitious person or the adversary, depending on the nature of the ambition. The ambitious person can also change from protagonist to antagonists through the course of the story as well. This dramatic situation helps us feel tension for something desired that can, in turn, threaten our sense of control as ambition is coveted. So there's a couple movies that came to mind uh, for this situation. Uh, Treasure Planet, which is the classic uh, take on uh, Treasure Island, uh, or it's a a modern take on Treasure Island in animated form. Though I wouldn't say modern because shit, that movie's got to be 20 years old now. The Social Network, the real life story of Mark Zuckerberg's come up against the the Vander Voss twins. I think the Twinkle, Winkle Voss twins, Vander Voss, Twinkle Voss, Winkle Voss. Had to be the Winklevoss twins, uh, where all of them had some sort some sort of ambition that they coveted this thing that was made, this social network, if you'll excuse me. In anime, you've got Kill la Kill, where everybody in that anime had an ambition to reach a higher station within the organization of the high school. A highly recommended anime if you do see Kill La Kill because, or if you if you want a good anime to watch, it's everything is not what it seems. You think it's just like some hierarchy control scheme of high school students that uh, dress up in their sailor outfits and fight, but it's actually, I won't tell you. Okay, I will tell you. It's this very devious alien thread that wants to take over and suck the life force out of all humans. It's so good. Uh, we've got ambition in an anime and manga called black Clover where, and, and a lot of these, uh, type anime have a position of power, whether it's the Hokage or it's the pirate King, or it's the wizard King in the case of black Clover, similar, uh, one piece, Luffy and all of these other pirates are vying to find the One Piece and become the Pirate King. Now, I said I'd mention it more than once in this episode, but Berserk, the anime, has another great example of ambition. And it's maybe not the main character protagonist uh, Guts, 
but it is oh shoot i'm gonna forget his name now he's a, he's a silver-haired charmer but his best friend desires power over all else and he gets it he gets what he wants but guts wants to leave he wants to leave the raiding party he doesn't want to be a part of the band anymore he wants to go do his own thing he's become bored well he's challenged to a fight and he wins that fight and his friend loses it with his ambition and his ambition goes so far as to cause him to do a very nefarious thing which then gets him captured by the kingdom which gets him tortured and gets him to make a literal deal with the devil oh berserk is such a such a good show. The 31st dramatic situation is conflict with a god. It's a trope that requires two characters, a mortal and an immortal. The mortal challenges the immortal and there are consequences. Variations include a struggle against the deity himself or a struggle with the believers of one. This could be merely a controversy with the deity or a punishment for contempt of or pride before a god. It could be rivalry. Oftentimes, the hero of the story is the mortal because of the power disparity and supposed uh, and inevitable failure. We as the audience empathize with the courage or foolhardy nature of the quest. Obviously, tangling with a god can result in a grave consequence to include a, a denial of a treasure or even death. The discussion portion included the biblical example of David and Goliath, where there is a huge power dynamic and the expectation of failure on the part of David. So success seems much more impressive when faced with those same kinds of impossible odds. Now, I'm thinking of a video game. I'm thinking of a video game that exemplifies this situation, this dynamic trope so well, conflict with a god. If I could reach out across the digital airwaves to your earbuds, to your computer speakers, or hell, maybe you're listening to this thing in your, in your car... If I could reach through, what video game might I be thinking of? And if you said God of War, you would be absolutely correct. Now, Kratos has a huge beef with the, the well, the God of War. Who is that? It's not, oh man, I'm really, I'm really showing my fatigue here today. Ares. It's Ares. I was going to say Athena, but Athena is most definitely not the god of war. It's Ares. Athena helps him out, actually. Uh, and in this series of games, all of them, he has conflict after conflict with these different gods. And, you know, he wins all the time because he's good. Because he's played by me when I'm playing the game. When other people play the game, I, I bet... Nobody else has beaten any of the God of War games besides myself. If you'd like to see the ending of a God of War game, just come on over to the house, pour yourself a cup of cocoa, and sit down and take some lessons. I'll show you how to beat a God of War game. And there's, there's definitely some movies that follow these tropes as well. Like if you think of like Clash of the Titans. Wait a second, that was a football movie. Uh, Wrath of the Titans. No, Clash of the Titans was a was a god-fighting movie, and so was Wrath of the Titans. But uh, an even better one that I saw an example of on the internet is Dracula, like the classic Dracula lore. It, essentially, he is an immortal being that must be fought. And more so recently, last year, we finished off the last season of Castlevania, 
which was an amazing series. If you have not seen it, oh, so good, so incredible. And Dracula's, well, his campaign to end humanity is a really big monumental hurdle to our heroes in defeating him. And then, of course, you've seen it in other animated movies as well, like Hercules uh, up against uh, Hades. And he was not a mortal per se, but eventually he gave up his mortality to save uh, save Meg. And then there was the, um, the uh, Maui in Moana, you know, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, of course, uh, where it was basically Moana and, yes, Maui, though he was depowered a lot of the time, going up against Tafiti, a god. And so I think I, there's just a lot of cool ones in this particular trope. Then there's mistaken jealousy, and that has four elements. It's got the jealous, the object of whose possessions he is jealous, the supposed accomplice, and the cause or the author of the mistake. So here, the jealous person, through some cause or author, becomes jealous of some object. In many of these stories, there might also be a supposed accomplice. I read the variants uh, Changing Minds had on there, and I really racked my brain to figure out what the hell they were talking about. And basically, there is a mistaken or baseless jealousy. The jealousy could be suggested or inspired by someone with malicious intent, like a scorned lover, a spouse, a lover or of a, of a rival, someone who has something to gain from the person making the mistake, usually a mistake of judgment that we, as the audience, can relate to. When we become jealous, we become easier to manipulate, and often to someone else's intent. When the ruse is revealed, we can also realize our jealousy was unwarranted and feel some guilt for our actions, and then move on to uh, repentance and recovery. Now, you're going to have to forgive me uh, for this <laughs> for this explanation or this example. I came up with the example 300, Zack Snyder's 300, great movie, uh, wonderful, inspiring tale of the Spartans. And there was at one point a deformed Spartan wanted to join with the other Spartans, but he could not because he could not raise his shield to protect the 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 Spartan to his left and the Spartan to his right. And so he became jealous of that. And he went to Xerxes and Xerxes promised him the world and showed him uh, that he could have whatever he wanted. And so in return, this person who felt like he was wronged, like a, a scorned lover or something along those lines, showed them the mountain goat path, which eventually led to King Leonidas and his mighty, mighty 300s defeat. Uh, more on mistakes for the next dramatic situation, though this one is called erroneous judgment. It's less about jealousy and more about mistaken identity. In it, someone makes some judgment or is suspicious about uh, the victim instead of a guilty person. There are a lot of variants for this. Fortunately for us, most of them are false suspicion and variations on those false suspicions because of misunderstanding. Someone being framed uses an alibi for an actual guilty party or drawn on oneself to save a friend. Others include allowing an accusation uh, to fall on an innocent in order to protect the interest of a loved one or of a friend. Trying to explain what happened uh, or to otherwise hurry blame it's very easy to mistakenly suspect or accuse the wrong person. 
Many detective stories follow this theme and the viewer associates with the falsely accused. So it can cause great tension until the, uh, the innocent party is cleared of guilt. The movie I thought of immediately was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's a great one for a false accusation. After they have to go and prove their innocence in Toon World. And then, of course, it was Christopher Lloyd all, all along. But another great one, especially in our wheelhouse here at Culture Jacked, is the MCU movie Captain America the Winter Soldier. Uh, was it the Winter Soldier? The Winter Soldier was one... But there was another, there was a reason, gosh, I've got to watch the Winter Soldier again. I mean, I would say more so than the Winter Soldier would be Captain America Civil War with the mistaken identity of uh, Bucky Barnes being, being labeled a terrorist. But I can't remember what Steve Rogers was on the run for in that movie, in the Winter Soldier. Shawshank Redemption is another good one. And there's an anime called Dead Man Wonderland. With this kid, he's just minding his own business. He's in class. All of a sudden, this dude in rags and a collar floats up outside of his window and blasts his whole class into little little bits and pieces. Killed all of them, except for this kid. And so the kid got blamed for all the murders, and he was sent to a prison amusement park where he had to try and clear his name there. <clears throat> Remorse is next. <laughs> Remorse is simple. It requires a culprit a victim or a sin, and an interrogator. The culprit has done wrong to the victim or has committed another sin. The interrogator gets an admission of guilt, and most of this has to do with remorse, remorse for an unknown crime, the murder of your parents, for an assassination, for the murder of a spouse, or for the fault of a love, or for adultery. Remorse and regret are common human emotions. And so easy for us to identify in characters and relate with in these kinds of stories. Any of these trespasses, the protagonist may know they are wrong in the moment, but not feel remorse until after the fact. Remorse is caused by the dissonance between our actions and our values. Watching characters experience these makes us chastise their wrongdoings, but then sympathize with the remorse that they have. And the best example I could think of in this one is in Game of Thrones, there's a character named Theon Greyjoy. And Theon is, <laughs> I guess, to use the terminology of the day, Theon is kind of a clout chaser. He wants to be popular. He wants to be famous. He wants to have uh, all this acclaim and all of this glory. But he's kind of a screw up. And he goes so far as to murder two children who are not the Starks, but just to prove that he's, he's such a, such a badass, Uh, and he feels bad about it later. He feels bad about his betrayals and that, you know, remorse is kind of translated into a redemption arc for him by way of what was that guy's name who (laughs) chopped off his dong. (laughs) He got what was coming to him. I think Uh, full metal alchemist, if you've seen the anime Full Metal Alchemist, you'll know near the very beginning of the story, the Elric brothers, Ed and Alphonse, uh, their mother passes away. But they have learned enough rudimentary alchemy to attempt to bring her back. And so they get all of the specific uh, ingredients 
that are included in a, in a human body's composition. And they, they put it all into a tub and they draw their pentagrams on the floor and they make their symbols and they make their gestures and they summon back up their mother from the dead. But it is not their mother. It is a monster that they immediately had to put down. But not only that, the bringing back or the attempted revival of their mother caused Ed to lose an arm and a leg and Alphonse to lose his entire body with his soul being bound to a suit of armor. Mm. Just saying that makes me want to watch Full Metal Alchemist again, but I know Full Metal Alchemist, it, it's only aged well in my nostalgia. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, if I want my fix, is going to, going to be where I'm going to have to get it. And then in Dr. Stone, another anime, they make the mistake of reviving Sukasa right away to protect them from lions. And so, you know, not a bad choice right away because he is the world's top number one primate teenage fighter. But it turns out he has some, <laughs> he's got some bad ideas for what he wants to do with the earth's population as well. And so becomes the main antagonist in at least the first part of that series. Okay. We're getting, we're getting close now. The second to the last is the recovery of a lost one. This is easy, right? This kind of story requires only a seeker and the one found. The seeker looks for and finds the other. Even Changing Minds site had, it had very scarce information for this dramatic situation. Recovery is a common theme, though. And though the cause for the missing may be voluntary or involuntary, these are time tested stories that set up classic conflict with abductors, uh, stage exciting rescues and escapes. This could be a child or it could be a, a runaway or just an escape of some kind. Now, a good example in video games is Fallout 4. Fallout 4 as a video game is a perfect example of this trope. Do you remember what the primary through line for that story was, right? Nuclear bombs fell. And you made it to the shelter with the rest of the people in the town or in your suburb. And you got cryogenically frozen with your wife and your child. In the midst of your freezing, you woke up just, just in time. I'll be damned. Just in time to see your wife uh, killed and your son stolen. And then you get put back down and you sleep for a little bit longer and you wake up again. And so the entire through line of that story, or at least a big part of it, was that you were looking for your missing son. And then in anime, I, I told you I'd bring it up more than once, uh, Berserk again. And this is the recovery of a lost one. I don't want to spoil Berserk for you because I do want you to watch Berserk untainted without my opinions or my explainers on it. But Guts goes on a journey after he is just brutalized in a demonic hellscape, after he witnesses his lover brutalized in a demonic hellscape to the point that she just completely disassociates with herself. So not only is he trying to rescue her, is he trying to find her or recover her? He then has to go on another journey to recover her sense of self, which is so cool. And it's, I mean, the, the place, the, the manga ended uh, Griffin was the was the character that I couldn't remember before, but Guts's adversary. Griffin won, and 
the mangaka, he passed away, unfortunately. So we'll never see how he would have wanted that story to end. We don't want Griffin to win. So let's let's hope that someone else picks it back up. But uh, again, a very good example of the recovery of a lost one. Now, before we get to the last of George's Pulte's 36 dramatic situations, I just want to I just want to pause. Why do we appreciate books, movies, games and music? Is it because we're constantly surprised and amazed by them or or is it because they stay true to what we know and what we've seen and enjoyed in countless stories before them? I'd wager to say it's a bit of both. There is a reason many of these tropes have stood the test of time because they're stories that resonate with us. Stories about a hero, an admiration, something coveted, strife in our families and struggles with our gods. They vibrate us to our instinctual Neanderthal core. We're excited when a new twist is introduced, but following a formula is not always a bad thing either. One of the reasons I started this series to begin with was to explore ways that I could tell stories outside of this storm of familiarity. And it's funny because now that we're coming to the end of it, I think I'm happy to float within those currents, carving out my own path that is thrilling for others to walk, yet easy for them to understand and relate to. I can't wait for you to hear my story. And and so you can let me know how well I did in that endeavor. The final dramatic situation to end this series on is the loss of loved ones. For this, there are three elements, a kinsman slain, a kinsman spectator, and an executioner. The spectator sees the kinsman killed by the executioner. And before we even get into the variance on this one, it makes me think that this sets up great storylines for revenge, revolt, or retaliation. All right, some spins on this dramatic situation include the spectator being powerless to prevent the slaying or even unintentionally helping in the slaying themselves. Also, this could be bringing misfortune upon one's own people through secrecy. It could be divining the death of a loved one or simply learning of their death. Now, I put a few examples down here. Uh, Naruto, loss of, of loved ones. Now, I could spoil many parts in the series, and I think I even did in a previous episode where I referenced Naruto as an example or one of the one of the story arcs in Naruto was an example for one of the previous dramatic situations. Um so I just, I just won't, I mean, I guess, okay, I'll give you one. So, uh, Sasuke, I know I mentioned him in, in one of the tropes earlier in this episode, Sasuke's entire family is killed and he is witness to this slaying by his elder brother. And so that of course is what sets Sasuke out on a path of revenge uh, against his elder brother. But we find out that things aren't as simple as he saw. And that maybe the story of Itachi Uchiha is a little more complex. So Sasuke in Naruto is a good one. Uh, loss of loved ones, even in Castlevania in the, the, the Dracula character in Castlevania, he 
had decided that he was going to settle down with this beautiful woman scientist who wanted to show and help people of the world through science, which he has much of as he's lived for thousands and thousands of years. The townspeople knew him as a demon and thought science to be witchcraft. So they attacked their home while Dracula was away and killed his wife. This sets out the entire storyline of Castlevania as Dracula is hell-bent on revenge against the people that did him wrong and against humanity in general. He wants to wipe them all out. Cowboy Bebop, the vicious character, more so in the anime than in the more recent live-action Netflix show, Vicious, he wasn't such a bad guy until Spike stole his girlfriend. Aaron Yeager in uh, Attack of Titan, which is just getting a new season out, so I know there's a lot of people excited about that, but Aaron Yeager has witnessed so much death and destruction at the hands of Titans, which he found out was actually the hands of the Marleyan government, and it, he is hell-bent on, re- hell-bent on revenge because of it as well. And in some games, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, The little owl sidekick character is the child of the mother owl that was the primary antagonist in the first game and Spiritfarer, a game that is almost not, I wouldn't say exclusively, but it talks about uh, regret and remorse and uh, forgiveness. It's a wonderfully beautiful game where all of these different spirits go to you, the Spiritfarer, to ferry them off to the next to the next world, to the next life. That's that's it, though. Nine more dramatic situations this episode, 36 in total. Now, I want you to remember, Georges Pulte was not without his critics, and many of his presumptions were hotly contested, to include his idea that each of these situations were predicated on the 36 human emotions, though he never specified what those were, and... Whether you take the word of Pulte or the body of work done by the University of Vermont or even Vonnegut's thesis, that is completely up to you. But you cannot deny seeing for yourself patterns in the media that you consume. Thanks for going on this, going on this journey with me. It was a lot of fun. And these episodes are the most researched and written episodes that we have on the podcast. They were a lot of work. Do me a favor, reward all of that hard work by following or subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review. If you want to share your favorite dramatic situation or story with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at CultureJacked on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I am not a smart man, so if you need to issue me a correction, you can also send us an email at culture.collective.com. .x2 at gmail.com. If you'd like to talk to me about themes, story structure, or anything else, I'm fairly active over on the Beams app, where we can record a mini podcast together, just you and I. If you like this show, but you are now sad that it's over, well, I've got good news. Not only will I be back next week, but we have shows coming out on this signal every five days. We've got this one, then OTE on Saturday, Weekend Wire on Sunday, Monday Madness, and the News Desk every Thursday. That's it for the, the show today. I hope your week was great. I hope your weekend is better. Cheers.